Well, if you've been with us over the weeks, um, we, you know that we've been working our way steadily through the book of Romans, and uh, we're at chapter 13. What happens in the book of Romans is that between chapters 1 and 11, the Apostle Paul tries to make sense of the big story of salvation. What's the gospel? And how does it work? And what's the good news for that? And how's God working out his plan in our world? And then there's a change that happens. And, and last week, when Arthur was preaching, he would have introduced the change. It happens at the beginning of chapter 12, where Paul writes something like this. So, my dear family, this is my appeal to you by the mercies of God. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Worship like this brings your mind into line with God's. What's more, don't let yourselves be squeezed into the shape dictated by the present age. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you can work out what God's will is, what's good, acceptable, and complete. And that's the first couple of verses of chapter 12. And that is not just an introduction to chapter 12, though it is, but it's actually a an introduction to everything that he's going to say next. So last week he was talking about the church and about how the church has a responsibility to act differently in wider society. And because he's thinking about, well, how can we act in the wider society, then he moves to the obvious next question. And his obvious next question is really going to be, well, how do we deal with those who are in charge? How do you deal with the emperor? How do you deal with Caesar? How do you deal with the kings? And all the time what he's doing is saying, actually, this is not something that you just make sense of, except in worship, when we worship together, our mind starts to change. So week by week, when we gather together on a Sunday morning, a number of things should be happening to us. Firstly, we, we through our own voluntary decision, and I'm sure that there are many Sundays when you wake up on a Sunday morning thinking, do you know what? I'd rather roll over. <laughs> Don't laugh quite so loud. <laughs> you kind of think, oh, do I have to? But you do. And you'd say, no, come on. Get your act together, get yourself in that shower, get yourself dressed, get yourself together. And you turn up week by week. And in a sense, what literally happens is you drag yourself out of your ordinary life and you bring yourself, in our case here, to this group of people who, if you didn't meet them here, you probably would have nothing to do with them in any other area of your life. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> now, just in case some of you are wondering, this is not an argument in, in, in to stay in bed, all right? I'm not trying to <laughs> persuade you it's a good idea. You join with these people, and they're from different countries, they're from different contexts, they're different ages, they've got different backgrounds. And some days, you sit around here, and you look around, you go, I've got nothing in common with any of these people. Some days you go home and go, am I the only normal one there? <laughs> or is that just me? Um, and that's the point. You don't. You don't come because you've got a lot in common. 
You come in spite of the fact you've not got a lot in common. And you come and someone like Hannah or Ian or others will stand at the front and say, okay, folks, let's sing. And some of you will be sitting there going, I don't want to sing that. I don't like it. Or today I don't believe it. And someone's front saying, it's about us. And so reluctantly, you mumble and join in. And in doing so, you enter into the real world, again, of God's world. That's the real world. Because what gets beaten out of us in our day-by-day life is that there's any purpose to all of this. And you come in and someone whispers the word God to you and faithfulness and love and purpose. And you're drawn back in and someone like me stands at the front and says, let's read the Bible together. And then you start and you read, I don't don't understand it. But you say, "But but I'll go with you. And so you're drawn in. And what happens week by week? This is the point. Week by week, over years, our minds get changed. You know, sometimes non-Christians will say to us, you've been brainwashed. Only if it's happened properly. (laughs) (laughs) The problem with too many Christians is they haven't been brainwashed. (laughs) Because actually, seriously, what's happening is we're washing our minds with a different view of reality. Been brainwashed, yeah, hopefully. (laughs) Brainwashed not that you all believe the same thing. Brainwashed not that you become a clone of someone else. Brainwashed not so you act exactly the same as someone else. But brainwashed because actually I'm learning to see the world differently. I'm learning to see the world differently. And that's why we worship. This, I want to suggest is one of the major spiritual disciplines you engage with week by week. This is one of the major formational activities we can, we can, act, we can, uh, we can engage with week by week. It's not that every week is brilliant. It's not that every week is life-transforming. It's not every week massive encounter. But over years, this habit changes our minds, if we're doing it well. Our imagination grows. And our hearts get warmed and our minds get changed. So Paul introduces this whole section with that phrase, worship like this, when you bring your bodies as living sacrifices, worship like this brings your mind into line with God's. This passage we're going to read, I think, has at least two surprises for the readers then and perhaps for the readers now. So let's read the first part of that. Chapter 13 of Romans. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there's no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what's right and you'll be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. 
but if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They're God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it's necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. That's also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honour, then honour. I think the first surprise for those who would have read this as Paul was writing is simply that Paul says on number of occasions, two, three, four, five, six occasions in six verses, that God has his hand on those who are the authorities in charge of the political sphere in that day. Now the people he's talking about are Caesar and kings like, like Herod. And it was easy for people of God to go, well, God's not interested in them. He's not got his hand on them because, to be honest, these are not always good people. And there were a lot of people in those days who would riot, particularly Jewish people, because these Roman authorities had taken over their country and they put them in an oppressed state. But Paul says that God has established ruling authorities. God has instituted the people in place. They are his servants and he says that twice in verse 4 and then again in verse 6. So what's Paul saying? Paul is not saying, so just keep your head down. Paul is not saying that everything that ruling authorities do is good. But Paul is saying God's involved. It's interesting when uh, the, the passage that Mary read from earlier was from Colossians chapter 1 and uh, you will have heard her read the sun is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation now the temptation when you read that is to think yes and we want to worship Jesus because Jesus is the one who's really in charge so we come apart from so these people who are in authority have got nothing to do with God but Jesus is our Lord one of the temptations for Christians is we end up saying, Jesus is my Lord. Now, some Christians have, so, have sung that, in a sense, so much that they've said, and therefore, you don't want to get involved in politics because politics is dirty. You can't trust politicians. And God's got nothing to do with politics. But listen to the next verse. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Well, that's easy for us to grasp. All of creation was created by him. But listen, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Rulers, authorities, thrones or powers. They were created through him but more particularly, were created for him. What we know, and it's in Colossians again, when Paul talks about what happened on the cross, when Jesus died, one of the things that happened was this. If I can find it quickly. 
Sí, es un nueve. Okay, I can't find it at the moment. Isn't that embarrassing? I've been reading this Bible for ages. <laughs> but I've read it in another copy. You know when you can see it in the page? It's just on the right-hand page of my other Bible. Here we go. When Christ died on the cross, he forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against and condemned us. He, he took it away, nailed it to the cross. Listen. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Who put Jesus on the cross? The Romans did. <coughs> the authorities did. And the cross that was used to execute became the means where Jesus disarmed the power of Rome. God had his hand on Rome. Now sometimes what happens with authorities is dark forces operate through them and they become arrogant or it becomes anarchy. And they will be judged. But what Paul is saying is God is involved in our world. And God is involved in government. And God is involved with those who are in charge. God is involved. God has established. God has instituted. It is not that there's the world out there and then God's world in here. It's all of God's world. So, pay your tax. This is what, this was a big issue for them. Because they were rioting about not paying taxes. Because they're saying... They're not our government. Not in our name. We're not going to pay our tax to them. And Paul says, no, no, no. If you owe taxes, pay your taxes to them. Because God wants good government. If you owe revenue, pay your revenue. Because God wants good revenue. Now, we live in a world where if you're very, 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 very rich, you can afford not to pay tax. <laughs> If you're very, very, very poor, they come after you. And it's easy to grow cynical about the contributions that we make to our own government. But we make them because we believe, Paul says. We make them because actually we want good government. We want good government. We want good leadership. The danger in our society is often we want our leaders to be gods. It's very difficult to know how Obama's uh, time in the White Office in America will be judged. He's done eight years. But do you remember when he started out and people had such high hopes? There was no way any person could live up to those high hopes. Because what we wanted, we wanted God. <laughs> And the other problem with leaders is that sometimes we, they act like dark gods. But God puts order and God puts people into positions of responsibility. So how do you pray for those who have responsibility for you? In a few months' time, well, probably just after Christmas, everything will hot up again and we will prepare ourselves for our own general elections. And there'll be arguments about what's good for our nation. 
And we are called as people of Jesus to pray for those who are in authority over us. Not just to pray about them, but pray for them. We're in a democracy, so we get to choose at least some way. And you've got to engage with the process. But there's also, by extension, you have people who, for some of you at least, have responsibility for you at work, your bosses. And some of you, because we know each other, some of you really struggle with those who have responsibility for you. And you chafe against them. And you, you, if you could riot, you'd riot. But you just, you're so stressed out, you haven't got the energy anymore. It's kind of like you just, it's, it's the, the bosses are the problem. If the bosses were different, then we'd be okay. How do you deal with those who are in authority over you? And we pray about them. Oh, God, change them. <laughs> but actually, Paul brings you into a different world and goes, actually, God may, God has placed them. And they may not do a good job. And they may work against his grand purpose. But you and I, we can pray for them. Not just about them. And the other thought I had, by extension, was that some of you lead others. And it becomes a question about, do you believe that God has placed you there? And if so, how are you leading in a way, and leading others in a way, that reflect the kingdom? God has instituted. He puts people in place. And he's placed you. Some of you have real responsibility for lots of other people. And I know that you feel that. And I know you carry it. And, and Paul, probably sometimes what you need are other people that you can say, will you pray for me? Because I want to be God's agent here. Not just doing the business for the business. And Paul moves us to the next phrase. And he says, well... Let no debt remain outstanding, verse 8, except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shan't commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not cover. And whatever other command there may be, as summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. The values we are called to work with are, is love. A community, we as church are called to be a community that learns to be grateful and learns to love. Love isn't natural, I don't think. Liking people is natural. You know, sometimes it's difficult to know, isn't it? You sort of think, why do I like them? And you never think about it because you don't need to, but it's kind of like, why do I like them? I don't, I'm not sure. Because it's not even that they're the same as you. Sometimes you really like people who are very different than you. Why do you like them? I don't know. But love, love's more difficult. Because it's not about who do I naturally feel drawn to. It's actually how will I act in ways that will bless and do good to those who I might not actually like. That's why Jesus said, love your enemy. 
Because love becomes this transformational power that takes someone who is not likable, who may not have your best interest at heart, and actually transforms that situation into one that says, actually, I'm going to act differently. I'm not going to meet the enemy with an enemy spirit. I'm actually going to meet the enemy with love. And this is how it ties into the rest of the, gospel, uh, the, the epistle to Paul. Because the gospel is this. When you were far off, God loved you, number one. You should know what love looks like. Number two, he has given you his spirit. So actually, it's not just, can I muster up enough love? Like it's lovey dust that you've got in the back of your pocket. You can just sprinkle over people. It's actually this power of God within you says, actually, there's a new life force within me. And I'm going to learn to love in this context. This is not solely the context of your family. And it's not just the context of church. It's the context of work. It's the context of politics. It's the context of wider society. What does it look like when you start to build businesses around the uh, value of love. I've been out and about this week all over the place, really, and um, met a few folks, different sorts of folks. I met one guy who builds websites, and he said to me, he says, the, 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 and, and maybe for those of you who build websites, this is obvious, and it probably is, but I was impressed. And he said this. He said, I build a website not that displays my ability to build websites. He said, I build websites because I want the person who's using it to really be able to use it to the maximum benefit. He said, I can do a lot more clever things. But he said, but the level of complexity increases. And I want to love these people enough to build a website that they can use well. It's a simple thing. But it's like, what does love look like when you're building a website? And then I met a guy. I was teaching a guy this week um, who builds and oversees um, apartment villages, uh, retirement village kind of complexes in Britain. He builds them and he ensures that communities grow. And he was, he was really interesting. He said, because he said, there's lots of ways you can build these sort of villages. And you'll have seen them around. They're all over the place now. He said, and you can build them in such a way that actually people have to buy sort of very small furniture to fit in. He says, because if we build them and they're just a third smaller than they ought to be, then actually we can get another one on for every three. We can really maximize our profits. He says, but I'm a Christian. <laughs> he says, I'm trying to build in a way that demonstrates something about the grace and love of Jesus. Anyway, I put my name down. <laughs> we probably ought to have this conversation somewhere else, love. <laughs> Walk out the door. <laughs> Turn around now. <laughs> well, that's done it for your head this morning. Um, but but it, what Paul's looking at is this idea of in this community, we learn to love so that in that community, we live it out. That transformational understanding of what it means to love and be loved. 
And then he says, and do this. Oh, sorry. Sorry, I, I want to say one more thing. Today is Advent Sunday. Today is the time when traditionally in the church, we begin the waiting process. We look ahead and we go, we remember that Jesus came once and we remember he will come again. And this story will be completed. Uh, it's, an easy, it's an easy hit, this. But when you saw those, uh, those scenes of people grabbing televisions on Thursday, Friday, it kind of like struck me just, as Christians we go, actually we're waiting. Black Friday says you can have it now. Black Friday says there's not enough out there, so you've got to, if you find a television, you've got to throw yourself on it. <laughs> Spread eagles. So if they steal it, they steal you too. <laughs> because Black Friday says there's not enough. Advent says this is a world where God's at work. Black Friday says it's all down to you. If you don't get to the sale, you lose out. Advent says God's at work. We wait and we watch. And Advent says... This is the time when fundamentally we say the word became flesh. And our words have to take on flesh and love. You know, there's some things when, where Christians are really different than the rest of society. We hold to different values at times. We... We certainly should value different things. And I kind of don't mind if, uh, you know, people that we talk to, non-Christians, they don't understand. As long as they go, well, I don't really get it, and I don't even really want to belong to you. But I can see something in you. I can see something in you that demonstrates that love that's different. Advent is a time when words come in the flesh. And when love breaks a cycle of resentment and hatred and suspicion. And then finally, and do this, verse 11. Do this understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber. Because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night's nearly over. The day's almost here. So let's put aside the deeds of darkness. Let's put on the armor of light. Let's behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy, but clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. We're getting there, folks. Every day, we're nearer. God saying, let's bring this story into its brilliant, glorious finale. Let the real story begin. We're getting there. We're getting there every day. It's just a nearer day to when God says, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine. So, so don't lose yourself partying all night in debauchery. Some of you are going, I'm too old. Debauchery, immorality, <laughs> drunkenness, backbiting, pettiness, small-mindedness. Don't lose it in drink. Don't lose it in small dreams. Because there's a really big party coming. 
when I was a young Christian and a young person, really, because it was both the same thing, really, I used to read passages like that, and they'd say, don't behave, you know, in this sort of way, and then say, but rather clothe yourself with Jesus. And I thought, oh, that sounds a bit dull. <laughs> I mean, I knew I shouldn't be doing the other, but this sounds dull. <laughs> but actually, I think increasingly I understand Jesus was the only one who was so truly human that when he parted, he parted like no one else because he knew what it meant to be human. Really interesting thing about Jesus, he was always being invited to parties. His first miracle was at a big wedding feast and they'd run out of wine. You would expect Jesus to go, well, that's just as well. The next two days, maybe a little more sober, but it's more appropriate. <laughs> Jesus kept being invited to parties, and then he'd say, oh, and by the way, you religious folks, you need to change. And the remarkable thing is, he'd get back invited, invited back to another one. It's kind of like most of us, we would say that once, and we would never have an invitation again. <laughs> Why? Well, for all sorts of reasons, but at least this. Because I think when you met Jesus... What people met was a man who was the most alive man on the planet. Wouldn't you want him there at your wedding? Wouldn't you want him there at your party? The guy who brings in the folks whose lives are being reconstructed and says to those who want to be so po-faced and looking like they've sucked a lemon, You've got it wrong. When you want him, well, the invitation for us, clothe yourself with him. The most alive human that there ever has been. Clothe yourself with Jesus. The way he was, the way he acted, the way he reacted, clothe yourself with him. The one who loved the unlovable and his love changed everything. In a context where we've got rulers, where you have bosses, and sometimes you don't know how you're going to manage from week to week. But we pray and we persevere because God's not finished yet. And he's not abandoned it. This is God's world. And we who worship we realign our minds and our hearts to God's world. Because in a few minutes or so, you'll go back to your homes. You'll go back into work context. You'll go back to the stress and the ordinary strains. But clothed with Jesus. Clothed with Jesus. The one, the most human, human man that there ever was. Oh, God, do it to us. Yeah? It's Advent, come on. Yeah. <laughs> we're waiting, we're waiting. God, God, we're waiting. What are we waiting for? Come, come, Lord Jesus. Come and do the big work, Lord Jesus. Come and finish the story. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, finish the big story. It's not God, come and rescue us, but come, come and do it, God. Because we see glimpses, and the glimpses are great, but there's so much more. And, oh, Lord Jesus, come and clothe us again. Well, to be honest, I could stand here for a while, but I'm not going to. Let's pray. Let's pray together, and uh, Hannah and folks will come.
and uh, they'll lead us and we'll take communion and the bread and the cup of juice will come part of us and we will say, come, clothe us again. Sorry. <laughs> come, clothe us again. Let's stand together. Let's stand. Oh, come on. Let's just start, if you can, just start to pray for your own self and your own situation. Some of you are really struggling at work. Pray for your boss. Just pray for them by name. Some of you are really struggling with your own situation. Come and pray that you might be the loving agent of the kingdom in the midst of that. And some of you are losing hope. Come and pray that you might see again that hope of the big party, the true party, the big, big climax. Come, Lord Jesus. Come and fulfill all that you've begun. Come and make real all that you would want. Just start to pray where you are. Just so for your, for your own, hear, let yourself hear your own words. It's not for anybody else. It's only for yourself. Just start to ask God to come and make a difference in and through you, wherever you might find yourself. Come, Lord Jesus, we pray. Come and clothe me. Come and clothe us, we pray. Holy Spirit, come and rest on us, we pray this morning. Come, Holy Spirit. Come and rest on us, we pray.